For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of work. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper. Happy Wednesday, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. Who or what are you celebrating today? For me, I am still celebrating authors and their books. And today I have four very special authors waiting in the wings. Uh, unfortunately, for those of you who were hoping that Sally Hodel was going to be here today, she unfortunately, due to illness, had to drop out. Uh, so we wish her a speedy recovery, and hopefully she re will return before the end of the month. But today we are going to be talking about Hollywood husbands. We're going to be talking about uh, Vietnam and the music industry. We're going to be talking about great acting teachers and uh, surviving the seventh grade after all. If you can survive the seventh grade, you can be a great actor. And we're also going to learn that there are no small parts in Hollywood. I know you've heard it before, but it's all true. I've been celebrating authors and their books all month. I am up to here in books, and I still have not had enough. I love to read. This month was set up to celebrate great, great books. I hope that you're all reading, and I hope that you're all taking advantage of all of these great authors that we've had on the show and that you are checking out their books. So before we bring on our first guest, I would like to give you just a little sampling of some of the great authors that we have had on this show since we started doing this show at the beginning of COVID. Here they are as we celebrate National Book Blitz Month. Here they are. Joyce Boulefont. <laughs> Hello, I'm so glad you're here. Well, while we're waiting for Joyce, I'll keep talking until you unmute yourself, Joyce. Uh, you're muted for a few moments. I don't know why, uh, but we're going to, let's see if I can help here. Unmute. Joyce, you're muted. I don't know why. Joyce, you want to close out and come back in? Maybe that'll help. You're muted. <laughs> Why don't you close out, come back in, and we'll, okay, she'll be back in a few moments. Joyce Boulefont and I, well, I actually met Joyce uh, many years ago. We had a mutual friend, uh, Pat Barr, and I, Danny and I were in Palm Springs. I think this was the first time that we went to Palm Springs together. And my dear friend, Pat Barr, here she is. Hello. There you are. There you are. I, I don't have any idea what happened. I have elves in my in my phone and my computer, everything. I'm gonna tell you it's three, at least three of your four Hollywood husbands are out there pulling the strings. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> but I was telling them you and I originally met um in when through our friend Pat Barr when we met in Palm Springs years ago. Little That's did right. I know from that first meeting, thinking that, you know, we would have lunch together, that you and I would end up working together, uh, at <laughs> least virtually this past year, because we were working so diligently uh, on behalf of Helen Hayes for Helen Hayes Days, um, and that was in October. And then lo and behold, after two years of working on this, <laughs> I get covid and I couldn't I, believe it. I I was so sad, so sad. Oh my God, I was so sad that I could not be there. But as I was putting this show together, celebrating authors, because you were here today in the context of being an author, uh, I that's why you, I have my glasses on. <laughs> I wanted you to come on and talk. I mean, first of all, you also have this incredible show. Remembering Helen Hayes with Love. So you are a great writer, Joyce. Well, thank you. I've done a few other things, too. I've written two movie scripts and two musicals about dyslexia. Wow. Wow. So are there other books or scripts uh, in your future, do you think? Well, I've been asked to write a couple. One 
is about dyslexia and the other is about, um, I titled it, I loved him to death, about the process of transitioning from this life into the spirit life. Wow. That's pretty heavy. <laughs> now, well, you're, I'm learning something new about you today. Are you a very spiritual person? I like to think I am. Yes. Well, I am too. So it's nice to know that. I Thank you. Something else that, you know, we both have in common. I've uh, been so studying a lot about different uh, aspects, different religions, and reading a lot. And uh, I it, it fascinates me. So um, growing up, um, and I know that you, because you and I talked about this, I had the great pleasure of interviewing you live uh, at the Drama Bookshop uh, a couple of years okay. ago. Um, and we talked because, and you are very open and you talk about this and you're very much involved with uh, dyslexia. Um, growing up, I am, I'm going to assume you did not keep journals or anything growing up. So you, this is all total recall when you go back to write about your memories. How do you tap into that uh, those sense memories, uh, because even reading your book, um, I swear I can taste Helen Hayes strawberry shortcake reading your book because uh, <laughs> you just take us there. Well, I I don't know. I have incredible recall, and I think it's because I've lived so many different places. I, when I was fifty, I sat down and realized I I made a list. I'd lived in fifty places and. Now that I'm way up there, I've probably lived in at least 75 places, maybe more. So I think that creates a very strong memory sense for me. I can remember rooms I was in. I can remember the colors, where the furniture was, all kinds of things like that. So since we are talking about books today and we're going to delve into some, you know, we'll come back to some of these uh, aspects of your book a little later on. And of course, the book is My Four Hollywood Husbands, which I have right here. And I highly recommend. It's a great, great read to everyone. Um, when What is your process in sitting down to write this book? Well, to write that book, I had just separated from my husband, William Asher. And I went to live in Colorado uh, because I had become so codependent and taking care of him. I thought if I was in Los Angeles where he was, I would continue to be that codependent person that wouldn't help him. So I decided, well, what the heck am I going to do up in the mountains of Colorado? Well, maybe if I write a book about all the places I've lived that, and call it Home Sweet Home. Where is it? And that's what it started off to be. And my process of writing was to get up in the morning, go downstairs, because my bedroom was up in the loft of this little condo, go downstairs, make a pot of tea, bring it upstairs with my Lance Knighty on, get under the quilt, and I would have a legal pad. And I just start writing. And I had to do it from the beginning uh, of my life, to do it chronologically. And you should see that yellow pad, because I seem to put the subject at the end instead of the beginning, being dyslexic and the writing, the <laughs> spelling, oh my God, is terrible. So then I would do that. Then I would talk into a tape recorder, and that would be my my actually my second draft because the first draft was correcting everything on the yellow legal pad then when i would speak it into the the tape recorder that would be another draft then it would go to a, a secretary who would type it out for me and then i would get it and then i would correct that and that went on for a long long time this started 24 years ago in 1993 is when I started it. And then when I was just about what I thought finished was 750 pages, <laughs> I had a friend call me who's an author, Bruce Cook. He's a wonderful writer. He's a good person for you to interview sometime. 
uh, bring him on. I'd love to. Yeah, very interesting man. He started uh, Entertainment Tonight. He was original producer. Wow. One of them. Anyway, he called me one day and he said, Joyce, I have the title for your book. And I said, what? And he said, my four Hollywood husbands. And I said, Bruce, that's disgusting. That's embarrassing and, and, and tacky and, and just awful. But maybe it would sell books. Okay. <laughs> so that's how I got to be my four Hollywood husbands. But that was another complete rewrite because it really had been about where I lived, what it looked like, the things I went through, but it wasn't really directed at those four Hollywood husbands. And I thought, what if I could write something that if I'm writing, why not write something that might be helpful to people? So it became about alcoholism and codependency within the the background of the golden days of Hollywood. And and what was wonderful is my husband, Roger, who had been sober at that time a long time, otherwise the marriage wouldn't have worked because I learned too much. Mm -hmm. he, he, I would write and he would look at it and correct the spelling and, and then maybe edit a little bit. And then when I finished that process, then it went to a real editor who took chunks out, which was like losing your fingers and your hand and your whole arm. But then when I was down at a dyslexia conference, um, I went to my room to do some writing and, and looking at the editing. And suddenly I realized what she meant. And I learned from her really how to edit. And I started taking big chunks out. Although it hurt a little, it made the story move forward and make it more interesting. So now I think I have to look for those other 300 pages and maybe there's a book there. <laughs> maybe there's another book. Well, I want to ask you, before I bring our next guest on, do you know the moment or when it happened for you that you decided that you wanted to be an actress? Oh, yes. This sounds awfully Pollyanna, though. It was, um, I didn't live with my mother all the time. In third grade, I got to live with her. And there was an orphanage nearby. And I would take all my my comic books because I couldn't read and bubble gum and I take it over to the kids and give it to them and they kind of say yeah thanks you know thanks and I thought gosh if I was somebody like Margaret O'Brien or Shirley Temple or Jane Powell and I gave them these then they'd really be happy that would really be somebody giving something and at that moment, because I would get so lost in the movies and everything, I thought, I want to do that. And it'd be a great way to give back. And luckily, I mean, really luckily, I, I've been able to do that. Well, I asked this question because our next guest, and there he is, I'm bringing him on. Yes. Hello. <laughs> Have another sip. I'll, I'll drink with you. <laughs> so, Wait a minute. I'm not drinking. <laughs> This is Matthew, and he has an incredible book, which I also love. If you survived the seventh grade, you can be an actor. And <laughs> I, I love this. I love the title. Uh, we've talked about this before, but for those who have not seen the interview, Matthew, first of all, welcome to the show. Meet Joyce. Hi, Joyce. Hi, Matthew. Good to listen to you. And hey, Richard, thanks for having me back. I'm so glad you're back. How did you come up with this title? Let's start it's there. The it's the best, isn't it? I, I think years ago, my friend Susan Isaacs, who also coined that AA ruined drinking for her, which is one of my favorite sayings. Um, I think she said, you know, if, if you survive junior high, you, you can definitely be an artist. And I was like, you know what? Seventh grade was just such a world for all of us. And the more actors I meet and train and make them do personal monologues, it all goes back to like 11, 12 years old, 13. And that was such turning points in our lives and where we all kind of had to build up a wall or hide ourselves or our vulnerability just got, or we had to split ourselves to be okay on this planet. And I was like, boy, that seventh grade was really something. And I just felt like, man, if you survive that, you can be an actor. You don't need to have a crazy, <laughs> if we all have something, something from that. Um, now, we don't need anything more, you know. Now, Joyce said that she relied totally on Total Recall 
with yourself, did you, because you, you talk a lot about your growing up and everything, your high school years. And of course, those of us who have gone through a lot of this, you and I had similar high school upbringings. Um, uh, did you grow up um, keeping journals or did you also rely on Total Recall? I did Total Recall and like similar, I just taught, uh, I made um, some videos with a friend and then she transcribed them that later became the blueprint of the book. Yeah, no, I, I didn't t I didn't keep journals as a kid as all, at all. I mean, when I was older, I did the artist way and started morning pages and stuff. Yes, I do those every morning. I still oh, yeah, it's the best. It's the best. That shaped my life so much. But like, no, as a kid, no, I never journaled or anything. Never. And again, these are all talked about in the book, but and we're not going to give away too much because we want everybody to buy the book. Uh, but uh, Meisner, why Meisner? For me, it was so transformational for me and it was actually doable. It wasn't just a theory from an acting coach. There were actually like scales. Um, mm -hmm. The repetition exercise itself is pretty famous. I mean, I grew up with the TV show Fame, you know, with Debbie Allen with that stick, you know, pounding it on the ground and this is where you have to sweat. And I was like, I wish we had that for actors. I felt like actors just smoked and tried to sound normal. You know what I mean? I was like, I needed a discipline and a structure. And for me, the miser technique was really structured to give me freedom. And mm -hmm. I, I just needed, I needed to be coached. I needed somebody to see the me I couldn't see. And I felt like in that work, it really trained me to be in the moment and to react spontaneously from my instincts that I killed off in seventh grade. So for me, it was an integration of all the stuff I had to split in order to survive my life. So I, I, that was really transformational for me. And I think art is transformational and saved a lot of our lives, right? So you know, it's interesting. I'm I'm writing a show um, that I'm going to be taking to Washington D.C. Uh, in a couple of months, and as I'm writing this show, I'm realizing that even though, and and I was you know saying this out loud, you know, in the theater, uh, only the scripts are scripted, and even with a script, uh, life happens. Candy yeah. wrappers go off, uh, telephones go off, cell phones <laughs> go off, Patty Lapone screams in the dark. You know, these things happen in the theater. <laughs> yes. if, you know, but uh, as you sat down to write this book, just like Joyce, obviously your book begins to take on a life of its own. Yeah. When did the book begin to take on a life of its own? And when did it begin to change direction for you and you went wait a minute there are two different books happening here because there are two different books here yeah i mean i mean that that's a great question i think right it's um the person i had to become to complete the book like i realized in the process i'm like i don't know how to like this is where i normally would give up like i hit that i don't know if joyce you ever hit that but like i was like i, I don't know how to format this i don't know how to me needing someone else um, was really vulnerable. And I think that was when it turned for me that if I, am I really going to commit? Cause you get such a dopamine hit saying, I'm going to write a book. And then that felt so great. <laughs> and I'm like, now I don't even want to do it. Cause that felt so good, you know? And it's like forcing yourself to do the hard stuff, you know? So Richard, I think that it was, yeah, it was once it was all transcribed and I'm like, what do I do with this and how do I make it make sense? And I have all these stories that I, I just didn't know what to do with it. And I was like, okay, I need help. And I need to create a team to help me with my editor and stuff like that, just to help me to finish this. So, yeah, I mean, it's also the book about stopping myself from doing what I know I want to do, right? Your own self-sabotage is also the sub, you know, the, the oh, sub-copy of the book. Oh, thank you. Come on in. Sorry, I just plug in my computer. Thank you so much. No, that's great. Uh, I wanna, I'm going to bring on our next guest here for a moment. Uh, God willing that uh, everything is going to work uh, and everything <laughs> because we were having a, a few technical pitches. Um, and Joyce, uh, you two uh, met uh, a few months ago uh, because first of all, John DeLeo is an incredible film historian. And this book, There Are No Small Parts, is phenomenal. I'm just gonna open up um, just to anything. Here we are at the bachelor party. Look at this, I just love this and every, <laughs> chapter you I thought when I got this book that I was going to be reading about these small little parts that actors had played in films no you get a real sense of who these artists are 
and their history and everything. And the research that went into this was amazing. So as we were putting the Helen Hayes event together, we needed the perfect film historian to come in and present Helen Hayes' films. Um, again, I was sick and I was not able to get there after <laughs> we got John DeLeo on board. And here he is, John, I am so Hi, glad. John. Hi, Joy. It's so good to see you again. Good to see you. were absolutely wonderful. Every, you, Thank you. you kept everyone spellbound, they, you. I, including me. <laughs> it was such a treat to meet you after, really. Thank you very much. And okay. I want to tell you, Nyack is in love with you, John. So oh. <laughs> uh, everyone talks, you know, they still talk about that evening. So thank you. Thank uh, you. John, how many books have you written altogether? Well, the one you're talking about is number seven. And I am just started number eight in November. Is it something you can mention or do we have to I wait? Can, I can just tell you it's my Oscars book. <laughs> and you think a guy writing about movies, it's taken you eight books to get to the Oscars. <laughs> but, <laughs> it takes like, some actors longer than that. Yeah, you that, there you go. So I, I never got there. <laughs> I was waiting to, choice. To, to find a fresh window into it. And that's what I can't reveal yet because the book's not going to be out for probably two years. Uh, but um, I think I found a cool window. In it. And again, it is. Uh, I will tell you this. It does uh, focus on the acting awards, and it will move chronologically, but its uh, I hope I have a, a, an interesting spin on it. So I've done uh, eight of the chapters, and I'm thinking there'll probably be 40. Well, let's wow. give a little homage, if we may, uh, to Robert Osborne. Sure. Because Robert Osborne, if you're like me, uh, I had his Oscar book growing yeah, up. Me that, too. Book, that book was the Bible. And, uh, you know, and just this past week, we lost another d very dear friend, uh, Carol Cook, and Robert Osborne was her best man when she got married. Uh -huh. um, so, uh, you know, Robert, thank you for the work that you did because you paved the way. Um, you're going at it from a new perspective. Um, what are you learning that you, or is it something you can't even talk about right now? Well, I think I, I always learn a lot um, because I think you get your idea and you kind of map it out. I usually visualize the finished product before I write a word, just so I can believe it can actually turn into a book. But then, of course, there are always the surprises. And I think the biggest one is how the book teaches you how to write it, meaning I've done the first chapter. It took me this long. I think I need to do that and go through it this many times. By the third or fourth one, it's... I don't mean to diminish it by saying it's like a conveyor belt, but it, you do get into a day one, this happens, day two, that happens. And usually when you have a new concept on material you're familiar with, there are always connections you make between people's careers and and um, it just, uh, the time they did something previously that you never thought of them in connection, those kinds of things that you're able to bring to the book and you think, wow, if I just got excited about figuring that out, I hope the reader will feel that same tingle, you know, so that that kind of thing. And of course we do. You know that. Thank you. I, I, I hope you know Good, that. Richard. I mean, I'm a fan, I'm a fan of your work. So, uh, but, uh, you know, it's now you're going into your eighth book and, you know, and I, and I'm, a, uh, you know, along with Joyce, I'm a very spiritual woo-woo type of guy. This is a seven year in numerology. So you are too, Matthew? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. So this is a seven-year numerology. So this is all, the timing is really good on this, John. I, I see okay. great things in your future. Maybe you'll get a special Oscar for this book. <laughs> but, uh, has, has your process evolved and changed since, you know, very much since your first book? Well, my first book was a quiz book. And... Um, Joyce and Matthew will appreciate that I, I wanted to be an actor. That's what I went to Ithaca College to be. I moved to New York, did the whole thing of any acting job I could get for 13 years, woke up on my 35th birthday in a panic and thought, oh, my God, I, I'm not going to be a star. I just figured it out. And then I kind of uh, always had the movie thing as my hobby, and I kind of started writing quizzes 
And that's what became my first book. It was a Hollywood quiz book. So I, even when the first book came out, I didn't think of myself as a writer. It was the second book where I tried to challenge myself to think, can I actually write essays on these people, on these performances? And I guess I came at it not from someone who had a writing talent who was looking for his or her subject. I was someone who had a lot of things I wanted to say and had to just figure out how to say them well. And so that, so I think I got more confident with each one. And so, um, yes, I, I, at some point in the, in the last 25 years, I do think of myself as a writer. And um, uh, like I said, each one uh, sort of gave me a new challenge to try to sort of up the ante on what I was trying to do. And so in the writing part, I actually feel uh, pretty good. And if you told me when I was 34 that I was going to be a writer and write books, I would have laughed because it made no sense to the life I was living. And that was just last year. Uh, so, <laughs> you and I are the same age, Richard. We know yes, that. I know, I know that. Uh, those <laughs> elves are playing havoc with us today. I know Mercury retrograde ended today, uh, oh. but it just Thank heavens. Yes, it just kicked Matthew out of the room, but he's back. Oh. I want to bring our next guest on because he, you know, he has been involved in the music industry. He's written this incredible book, The Other Side of Rock and War. Um, he's been on the show before. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant book. Billy, you can hear us. You're on screen, yes, Billy. I, I yes. can. Thank I'm you. Enjoying every moment of it. Thank you. Welcome to the show. Billy, what Thank was you. it that first intrigued you to want to sit down and tell your story? Well, people for several years, decades in the music business, because I've recorded so many artists and I've done 2000 records and, and uh, every time I had moments to speak about my past, and that's why I related so well to Joyce tonight. Because when Joyce said that she had tremendous recall, it reminded me so much that that was really my strongest suit because I also had great recall. And I've been, been asked for decades, oh, Billy, you got to write that book. You got to write that book. And basically what had happened is uh, back in 2012, uh, I finally started addressing, I, I kept my Vietnam experience buried for several years because it was just a negative connotation. Uh, when I came back in 67, I was totally disillusioned because I was, you know, I went in 65, 66, and I didn't realize while I was in the, in, in the war uh, how what the country was going through. So when I came back and felt so disastrously re rejected by the music business after coming so close to my mark at 20 years old, uh, I kept it buried. But in 2012, I, uh, Rutgers University contacted me, the oral history division. They heard it because I started doing programs with the New Jersey Vietnam Memorial uh, in Homedale. And my story got out, my humanitarian deeds in Vietnam got out. And a, uh, a journalist in New York who was writing oral histories for West Point contacted me. And West Point uh, invited me up and I did my story two hours on camera. But by Rutgers Living History Society getting on board, they came down, they interviewed me for six hours and they transcribed the whole six hours, which I was able to talk about my childhood and before, you know, getting in, how I got in the business and then interrupted by the war and then coming home and finally finding a niche so when I decided to address the book, it, a blessing was I went up to the Brill Building and uh, they, they wrecked the whole inside of the Brill Building where my whole career started. 
and I got in the elevator. Julie, for those who may not know what the Brill Building is. Oh, I'm sorry, you're right. Yes, no, uh, I, uh, do you all know about the Brill Building, all of you? Well, uh, yes, Matthew. Well, the, the Brill Building is the mecca of the American the of, Yes, that's 49th right. 49th and Broadway, that's where all the major, major publishers came. Uh, most of the early composers were in Tin Pan Alley. And that was between 29th and 31st Street in Hell's Kitchen. And the reason why they called it Tin Pan Alley is because in the summertime, no one had air conditioning, the windows were open, and all these great composers like Irving Berlin and whoever were composing in the middle of the night. And the neighbors were all going to the police saying, it sounds like they're banging on tin pans. I know, I know. So anyway, when the Brill Building was constructed in the early 1930s, all these marvelous composers and publishers moved into the Brill. So anyway, to move forward to answer your question, I get long-winded. But uh, so once my story got out there, uh, I one day I visited the Brill Building when they were demolishing the whole inside of it and re restructuring. And I met a gentleman who was in charge of the transition. And I started telling him anecdotes about the days in the Brill with meeting Rodney Dangerfield picking on me <laughs> and, and all these marvelous anecdotes. And he put me in touch with a fellow uh, who was in the investment group that took the building over. Lo and behold, I met with him and he said, a friend of mine just wrote Neil Sedaka's book, which was Rick Podolsky. That's right. And he also wrote Don Kirshner's book. And he introduced me. And after meeting Rich, Rich uh, agreed to work with me to put all of this together. And that was a major blessing. <laughs> well, there are so many great stories in your book. But I have to say, for those who are, you know, uh, Movie aficionados, and John, you uh, will appreciate this, uh, speaking of no small parts, um, you were responsible, Billy, for a very famous uh, teen idol yes. uh, ending up in a very famous movie. Yes. Where uh, you want to talk about that? <laughs> well... I was very, I was a huge Frankie Avalon fan in the 1950s. I loved Rydell, I loved Avalon, I loved Paul Ike, I loved Rick Nelson. Those artists just resonated with me. And in my, year, in my yearbook, when I graduated grammar school in Belmar, New Jersey, uh, it had all my favorites. And Lloyd Bridges was my favorite actor for Sea Hunt. And, uh, yeah. Shadow in the Pines was my favorite book, even though I never read it, but I had to put something in there. And I wrote Venus mm -hmm. by Frankie Avalon was my favorite song. And uh, it was an incredible experience that in the 1970s, and I believe it was 75, I was producing, I had a lot of successful uh, songs recorded by R&B artists, The Moments, The Manhattans. I was a rhythm and blues writer and I was transitioning to producer because I, I attended most of the sessions, but I always heard something on those sessions that I would have done better. So I said, I have to be a producer to produce my own music. And uh, Delight Records in New York uh, gave me some deals. And one day, that, one day the owner of the company called me and said, Billy, uh, some friends of ours, I, I think you know what that means. It was a pretty interesting uh, uh, era back then because a lot of uh, interesting characters put money into entertainment. And he said, a friend of ours uh, wanted to know if we could take on Frankie Avalon. And uh, I, had, I wanted to know what you would do. And I said, sign him. And he said, he thought I would say, there's nothing we can do. He's over. And he said, what are you going to do? I said, look, please believe me. I've been inspired by this man my whole life. Sign him, I'll figure it out. So we had our first meeting 
And I wrote a song called Somewhere Over Arizona that everybody loved, the record label, Frankie, everybody. And at the end of the meeting, I said, Frankie, let me be honest with you. I think the only chance in this world that we have is if we take Venus, your classic song, and do it in this new disco rhythm, which I had discovered, and I'm, I'm actually worldwide referred to as one of the pioneers of the disco beat. And part of it is because uh, Alan Schwartzberg, the classic studio drummer on the session, started playing this open hi-hat beat. And I said, whoa, 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 let's stop. Alan, keep that going through the whole song. And that became <laughs> the next few years that open hi-hat beat became the signature for disco records. So anyway, Avalon originally said, no, people have been asking me, I really don't want to touch the song. And I said to the label, I says, okay, I'll tell you what I'll do. The musicians will, co will cooperate. Let me use 10 minutes of studio time at the end of the session. And I'll ask my friends, because I gave them so much work, to play my arrangement. And if you don't like it, don't put it out. And it was incredible. After two takes, even Frankie said, oh my God, he put his voice on it. It went to number one. And uh, he, was, he was ready to sign a contract in October of 75. He was all ready to sign to work a lounge in Hawaii six nights a week and we recorded the record and uh, all of a sudden bang and uh, uh, he got called out to the arizona state fair he got ten thousand dollars for recording for singing the one song and we did uh, in one week we did merv griffin dinah shore mike douglas midnight special uh and uh, Sonny and Cher, an American bandstand wow. one week. And Alan Carr called him. And uh, Avalon and I were sitting on the beach at Santa Monica because we were recording out there. And he said, nonchalant, he said, Billy, Alan Carr called me and asked me to appear in the film version of Greece. And I don't know if I want to do that. <laughs> I jumped out of the sand. I said, Frankie, for heaven's sake, this is it. And lo and behold, he did the film, and uh, he's worth $30 million today. That's well, well, that's a great story. That's great. Wow. wow. What a great story. Well, one of the things that I do on these shows is I've got, I've got some mystery questions lined up. And I'm going to start with you, Joyce. Pick a number, one through five. I don't even know what the questions are. I just pulled them randomly. And we're going to get a little sense of uh, just a, a little fun game that we're going to play here on creativity. So, Joyce, you're muted again. <laughs> I don't know what happened. You're muted. Well, we lost her. She'll be back in a few moments. Uh, John, will uh, John? Can you hear me? Am I still here? Um, I hear you. You're here. So, John, pick a number one through five. One. Okay. And uh, it says, "Well, this is it. You have the power to create change." We're talking about woo woo today. What are the changes that you want to create when it comes to your work, uh, your creativity this year? Is that for me? Can you hear me now? I guess. What a huge. That's a huge question. Um, I guess it's sort of the. To continue to get the word out, meaning this last book, I uh, felt like I increased my audience. I show classic movies uh, at a, at a historic theater where I live in Milford, Pennsylvania. I introduce them on Sundays at four and every time I do it, I feel like I'm reaching beyond uh, to something bigger uh, in terms of my And I guess it's so much of it is um, in terms of change is, like I said, reaching a bigger audience and uh, sharing what I have to say. 
That's great. And it's great that you, and uh, if you send me the information about these film showings, I can put the information on the I YouTube will. channel. So please do that. Uh, so I'm Joyce, to back to you. So Hello. Pick, a number, pick a number one through four. Uh, one to four? Yeah. Three. And your question is, uh -oh. what's the most embarrassing thing that's happened to you at a book signing? <laughs> at a, oh my gosh. Well, um, that's interesting. A lot of embarrassing things. But uh, two, two very elderly men came up to me and said, you remember me, don't you? <laughs> and they were classmates, and I didn't remember them at all. It, that was embarrassing to me. Wow. Because they were old. Well, <laughs> Joyce, were they from the seventh grade? Yeah, good thing they weren't. Good thing they didn't say they were your husbands, Joyce. That would have been even worse. Could have, could have been. Don't you remember? remember I was married to you, Joyce? Well, you know that could have happened too. Uh, Matthew, pick a number one through three. One. Your question is: If you could only, this is an interesting one. If you could only eat, well. If, if if you could only repeat, I'm going to uh, rephrase this uh, to go with, along with it. If you could only give one chapter of your book for everyone to read, yeah, what chapter would you give and why? Yeah, I think I would do my uh, first chapter, which is me talking about my childhood and growing up. I think that's the most vulnerable for me, and. Um, I, I don't know. I just I just feel like there was a shift in my life after I wrote that and after I published that. And I felt like a lot of leftover shame like dissipated because shame can only live in secrets. And me just putting my story out there just for me, that, that first chapter for sure. Good for yeah. you. That's great. Thank you. Appreciate that. That's great. Bill, That's you great. get to pull one one or two. Billy. Oh, well, two, two probably would make more okay. sense. Um, if, uh, this is, uh, if you could meet any historical figure, who would you choose and why? Hmm. It's interesting. Uh, well, I'll probably get kicked off the show, but I would like to read... I, I, I would find it very interesting to meet Richard Nixon. Mm. Well, you're not going to be kicked oh. off the show for that. <laughs> <laughs> I well, met I, Trisha I would... Cox. <clears throat> when I was in the sixth grade, um, they came to our class and uh, we went on a field trip and we met Trisha Nixon Cox. And she sat down right. and she told us all to go home and tell our parents to vote for her dad. <laughs> <laughs> I met, I met, uh, I actually met and had several conversations with Julie Nixon mm -hmm. at Sigma Sound in Philadelphia when she was, because I was doing a lot of recording, a lot of producing there. And I ran into Julie. She was recording her audio book there that she wrote about her mom. And I found it so interesting from her perspective that, uh, and of course, having served in Vietnam, I mean, I have, I have a, I've, I've done a lot of thinking since then because it affected my life so seriously. And um, I, I would love to sit down with him and, and get his take on if he had been elected in 60, whether there would have been a Cuban Missile Crisis, because mm -hmm. I've always doubted that the Soviet Union would have challenged him, even though President Kennedy was a great, great guy and, and I, I admired him. Uh, but I think the over, the Soviet Union underestimated him. And I wonder, I can't help but wonder from my perspective whether they would have challenged him. And if they hadn't, and we hadn't lost nuclear superiority in the mix, 
whether mm-hmm. the Vietnam War would have ever been relevant. Wow. So that's my Very reason for yeah. wanting to sit with him. Very interesting. Well, thank you for that. Uh, Joyce, um, dealing with creativity, um, are you able to live without, this is a very interesting question now, are you able to live without expectations? And when you were writing your book, what were your expectations? Well, um, able to live without expectations, I think is very important. And I think you acquire that ability the older you get. At least I hope I have. I, I, I did hear somebody the other day say, what, what is the, what advice do you have in looking for a mate? And I said, don't look for someone who's pretty or handsome or funny or wise. Look for someone without expectations. Wow. That's interesting. That's great. It is, isn't it? And, um, did I have expectations as a young wife? Yes, I did. Um, and I think I dropped, with each husband, I dropped those expectations. Well, I am going to tell everyone, again, get Joyce's book, because when she married her first husband, uh, that's when she, you know, uh, Helen Hayes became your first mother-in-law. And she advised you not to marry him. Yes, she did. (laughs) And um, I didn't understand at the time. And I thought it was a terrible thing for a mother to say. And I didn't, uh, it wasn't going to be in the show that I did because it's called Remembering Helen Hayes with Love. But there were so many times that she said things to me that, were startling as a mother about her son. And it wasn't until I was working with the editor on my book and doing the Helen Hayes show. And I got to that point in the book and I said, you know, I don't know whether to say this. It sounds so terrible. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, for a mother to say, I don't think you should marry my son. He's not good enough for you. That sounded terrible to me. And she said, she was trying to protect you. She was trying to protect you from the life she had had being married to someone who was an alcoholic and how hurtful it was. And uh, it wasn't until that point that I realized that. And it became part of the show that was a very important part. Wow, that's amazing. Great. Uh, everyone, get the book. It's, it's incredible. Uh, uh, Matthew, yes. um, when, did you, when do you feel that your creativity really began for you? I mean, it has to be the movies. I mean, it has to be being a kid in uh, the movie, like many of us, right? I think the movies raised us, right? Like, I think... Um, plopping in front of the TV or going to the movie, you know, seeing old movies on TV. I mean, I think that that is impossible to go live in this world. I just didn't want to live in my world. I wanted to live in any other world, right? I wanted to be in the chocolate factory. I wanted to be in Oz. I wanted to, you know, have an adventure. I just wanted out, you know, it was a classic Disney want song of a character. You know what I mean? I just wanted yeah, absolutely. out of my life, you know, uh, and and uh, yeah, I think must have been very young. Must have been four or five. Yeah, for sure. Great. Now, John, I'm going to put you on the spot because this is something that's very important to me. Um, I'd like for this is going to be your PSA for today. Uh, your thoughts on uh, funding yeah. for the art? My thoughts on say that again. I'm sorry. Funding for the arts. Funny. My thought funding, funding. for the arts i support funding for the arts <laughs> I, mean, um, I think uh i was lucky in the 70s going to a high school 
I can't say how much money came from or where it came from or how much money went into those programs. I was in a madrigal singing group in, in high school. The stuff that we're exposed to, as, as Matthew was just saying, the stuff that gets the juices going, um, if, if you're in situations where that stuff comes into the world, whether it's not you know, an off-Broadway theater company or it's something that comes into the school, all that stuff that gets your, your juices flowing, um, it's invaluable. And it doesn't matter what you do with it. It doesn't mean you have to be a, a creative person in terms of being in the arts. I, I studied theater. I don't use anymore, but everyone I know who went through that kind of program uses all those things in whatever they're doing with their lives. I mean, anything, uh, so many creative things are about collaboration and what that's a great lesson for whatever you're doing in life so yes anything that stimulates in terms of the arts and that helps that along i'm on board with that's great richard may i add something to that yes may i I please i'm dyslexic and i work with dyslexic children and i think that teaching drama to dyslexic Mm -hmm. children really helps them learn to read because it's a multi-sensory approach to reading. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for, uh, thanks for bringing that in. Um, so I've been reading a book called uh, The Morning Routine. Uh, and uh, it's great. It, and it's all of these uh, creatives who have talked about their morning routine and the importance or for some, they have no morning routine. So I'm going to go to you, Billy. Um, wh- uh, do you have a, a specific morning routine? And if so, what does your morning routine consist of? Well, <laughs> <clears throat> I have to laugh because it's so lame. But uh, yeah, I get I get up and uh, I. I haven't watched news in 28 months. So what I do is I get up and I just avoid it at all because, you know, I'm I'm a very opinionated person and I'm trying to get out of that mode because it doesn't prove anything. And it's, 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 it's more annoying than anything. So I'm kind of at 78 years old, I figured. So I get up in the morning and I watch a black and white film from like seven to nine whether it's on, uh, I watch one of the films from the 40s or 50s every, every morning, or I watch Columbo, which I love. Oh, me too. In the 1970s, I was so busy. I, I played in a band and I was recording. And then when I got the hit with Avalon for the rest of the 70s, I was working constantly in the studio. I watched very little television all through the 1970s, and I missed out on all these great shows. Mm-hmm. And when I got sick in 2012, and I was just about ready to die, I was on the couch for five weeks, and I discovered MeTV, and I started discovering all these marvelous uh, Columbo and Rockford Files and the Canon. So I get up and if it isn't, if it isn't, uh, if it's not uh, Columbo, uh, a a black and white film, because the 40s and 50s films are just so marvelous. And then I go out every day. I go to Wawa. I park in their lot and I have coffee and I do my calls and check emails. And that's kind of a ritual seven days a week. (laughs) Billy, I'm going to say there's nothing like there's nothing lame about that morning routine. I'll tell you that. It sounds, it sounds heavenly to me if you want to know the truth. Um, so I want to thank you all for being here. Uh, Joyce, uh, our, Natasha Lombardi uh, has already ordered your book today. So we made at least, a, you know, at least one book sale today. Everyone else, these books are incredible. Read these books. Um, I'm going to have my closing remarks. And then I'm going to give each of you a chance to have your final word today. It could be about anything that we talked about today, anything we didn't talk about that you wish we had, or just any final message you want to leave everyone with. We'll do this alphabetically. Joyce, Matthew, John, and then Billy. And then Billy, don't worry about how to end the show. When you say goodbye, the final credits will roll. Um, I will start. And uh, each day I pull a word. 
And the word that I pulled this morning uh, was abundance. Mm. This, this is abundance to me. Uh, to have uh, this platform, to be able to sit down, not only with the guest on the show, but my friends that show up religiously for me and pop in and see the show, tell their friends, buy the books and show up. It means the world to me. Um, I'll tell you something funny that happened to me. I ordered a calendar and it arrived and it's a, it's a big kind calendar. And each day there's a different uh, thing in this one. This one is from January 8th. It says start a gratitude journal. And it's all great, except I realized several days into the calendar that this calendar that just arrived from Amazon is from the year 2021. <laughs> I called Amazon and I said, you sent me a calendar from 2021. And uh, they said, we'll send it back and uh, we'll give you a refund. And I said, it's just too much. I mean, I, it still has these daily little messages in it. But the one I pulled today was uh, start a gratitude journal. I do that every day. Uh, Matthew's already mentioned earlier, I am a huge fan of Julia Cameron. And I begin every single day with my morning pages. That's my, uh, that's my morning ritual. I go for a walk, I come back and I sit down and I do my morning pages. And I talk about, and I commit to putting at least three things each day that I'm grateful for. I have four things right here, four people that I'm grateful for. John, Joyce, Matthew, Billy, thank you. Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, just this past week, uh, my dear friend, uh, Carol Cook, passed on. Uh, but what a life. She passed away just two days shy of her 99th birthday. Uh, and she was still going strong to the very end. Uh, my uncle uh, also passed away last week. And another dear friend of mine passed away. And I say this at the end of every show. And I know I sound like a broken record to those of you who tune in. But I ask, how many of you let it sink in? And how many of you actually take the time to do what I say to do at the end of each show? And that is to pick up the phone and call someone that you haven't spoken to in a while. Not an email message, not a private uh, inbox message, uh, not an email, a phone call and let somebody out there know that they matter in your life. When Carol passed away, the outpouring of love on social media was outrageous. And her nephew said, it would have been nice if so many people had seen that a few weeks ago. It's important that we share our love for each other while we're all here to enjoy it. I have a dear friend, he says, we're all in this together, but we're not in the same boat. And then someone sent me a meme and it said, we're all in the same storm, but we're in different size boats. Some are in yachts, some are in canoes, some are in rafts, some are in tugboats, pushing everything upstream. It doesn't matter what size boat you're in. Just make sure that if you're in a boat, that you have a skipper by your side. And with that note, I'm gonna leave the screen and I'm turning it over to you, Joyce. Thank you, and everybody, make it a better day. Joyce, it's all yours. Oh, Skipper, I love, I, you're the Skipper I have in my boat today. <laughs> and thank you for introducing all these wonderful people that I hadn't met before. And I, I'm looking forward to getting all their books and abundance. I have tremendous, grateful, a, a, a heart of abundance and gratefulness for all these people on the show today and all the people who are suffering in the world. And I say prayers for them every day. Mm. So God bless everyone and uh, happy, happy journeys. Thanks, Joyce. Thank you, Richard. This is such an honor to be here. And thank you just for the reminder of gratitude and calling someone on the phone. That means a lot to me. And um, this was just so important for me. I just, I'm just thinking of my morning routine and just my word of the year is intention and just being intentional about my thoughts and my feelings and um, 
programming myself of the stuff I do want to think and the way I do want to feel as opposed to what I don't want to think and what I don't want to feel and just being really intentional and just programming my mind and creating a space and a place of being around people that inspire me like you guys and um, uh, pulling me towards something greater than myself. So that's what I'm about right now. And I'm just grateful to be an artist and to be alive and to um, have studios and be able to train actors and be in aha moments and transformation is just so important to me. And uh, yeah, such a pleasure to be here. Richard, I just really honor you. You have so much art and you're so beautiful. John, I give it over to you. Thank you. Well, going along with what Richard was saying about making connections to the people that matter to you, I live in Pennsylvania now, but I lived in New York City for 30 years. I was just there for four days over this holiday weekend, seeing people from my childhood, from my college years, from family, from neighborhood. And he's so right. There's no a substitute for really connecting, sitting down one-on-one -on -one or with five other people or with 10 other people and just um, savoring the time we have. And of course, as you get older, you feel that even more. So I'm so grateful for the time I just spent and looking forward to doing more of that in 2023. And I thank all of you on the show and listening out there. Thank you. Okay, Billy. Okay. Well, it's certainly an honor to be on this program with such marvelous people and marvelous creative talent. And uh, as a part of the Sardis alumni for many years, I certainly hope at some point I can meet some of you over there at Sardis. Uh, but uh, Richard Skipper uh, has been very, very supportive and I am extremely grateful for the support of, uh, support of Richard Skipper recognizing uh, my work and giving me a platform to uh, uh, get the word out. Matter of fact, I'll be performing at the Triad Theater on Saturday, uh, February 25th with my one-man show, which encompasses all of my life, my childhood, my music, my comedy career and everything. And uh, this is a great... Uh, a platform to uh, get the word out there. And I couldn't be more grateful. And I wish everybody great success with their books. And God bless. 